And uh, basically, I've just come along to talk about my life experiences, anecdotes and that sort of thing. There's no sort of clever drive to the way it all goes or any great point I'm trying to make. In fact, I could sum it up by saying, Northern city, Uist, as Friv Yorkshire. There, now it's all clear. <laughs> and it, basically, kind of Yorkshire is, it's anywhere that's east of a long line of hills. Mountains, I mean, sorry, not hills. They're, honestly, they really are mountains. And, and so Yorkshire is, is the east coast of the north of England. And um, over to the, to the left is the dreaded Lancashire. We're still bitter about the war. The war of the roses, the red roses and the white roses. And we've never really got over it. And I'm afraid, here I am, trying to sum up what Yorkshire's all about. And what I'm really doing is talking about what it's not about. It's the other places. <laughs> and um, there is this over, over the mountains. Oh, they are hills, really. And, and um, you've got your Lancashire over there. And then this side, you've got your... But even then were a bit difficult about the other bits of Yorkshire. We've got the Wessies, those in the west, where I'm right over on the coast on, in the east, and the Wessies aren't quite the same as us. It's all it even gets to the point where you get more or less in the middle and you've got Leeds, a big city of Leeds. Well, I'm over on the east coast and I'm from York, and Leeds is nothing to do with us somewhere else. <laughs> Not sure if we even want to have anywhere to anywhere to do with that, that sort of a place. But uh, I'm over in Scarborough, and I was brought up in, in um, York, which is a, a, a wonderful historic sort of a city. And uh, Yorkshire is divided up into what were Thridings, and then became Ridings, and are now three counties. So you see, it's official, and on the statutes that were all separate places, <laughs> we really are divided up. <laughs> and... Um, so I say I'm from the ancient city of York and most recently moved to Scarborough. That's not Scarborough, it's Scarborough. And, and um, the, the Brewer comes from Borg, which means um, settlement. So across, higher up the coast we've got Whitby and the B means settlement. And the, the Borough, uh, as, in, as in Edinburgh, or uh, Borg, comes from Borg, which is, means defended settlement. And Scarborough, where I currently... Well, I'm, I'm hardly ever there, actually, but I count it as living there. It's, it's two bays, two large, beautiful bays, with a tall, short peninsula in the centre on which there is the castle, which is the, the bog. There would have been a Viking Age um, defensive um, position there at, at one point. So it's Scath Bog, which is the home, the castle of, of Scath, a Viking who had a scar, is, is what we believe it comes from. But... I moved there fairly recently, a couple of years ago anyway, from, from York, and um, I thought I'll check out the local hostelries, and, and, and I went and I, uh, I went and had a pint in uh, the Newcastle Packet, which is like an old fisherman's pub on the, on, the, on the coast there in Scarborough. It's a beautiful sort of seaside town, and, and of course I had a pint, and then back then I smoked. So after my pint, before I got another pint in, I went outside out the front and had a cigarette. And a guy came out and lit up a cigarette, stood next to me, and he, I don't know, he talked about the weather, or the tides, probably, something like that. And, um, and I answered, and he looked at me and he said, where are you from? 
And I said, I'm from York. And he kind of thought about the fact that York's about 40 miles inland from Scarborough, so it's quite different. And thought, no, maybe that's all right. I think it's acceptable, you know, the fact that you're from York. I can, I can tolerate that. And, and, and I noticed that he didn't look very happy. And I said, why? And he said, I thought you were a wezzy. <laughs> and I said, I didn't know what a wezzy was. I'm like, what's a wezzy? What's a wezzy? Somebody from West Yorkshire. Well, like the same county, is it? I don't know. It's the biggest county in the whole of Britain, I suppose. But, well, you're talking about 150 miles across or something like that, you know. And it's like, um, he doesn't like, where are they? Yeah, he says, they come over here and they steal all the fish. Huh? Well, I've just been reading about the cobbles, that's with a single B, the cobble, which is the, spelt with a single B, which is the fishing boats. And, and there's... I think there's four or five in the, in the wonderful harbour at Scarborough where there used to be 40 or 50. There, if you went now and looked, it's like a, um, there's three, three piers, so there's two harbour areas, and in, like marinas, and in this one you've got all your fancy yachts and sort of private sailing, and on this one, if you looked at it, you'd see lots and lots of fishing boats, but they're from all the region, they're not just all up and down the coast, there's only a few. So when he started staying about fishermen turning up, I got quite excited about the idea that maybe there was an upsurge in the fishing industry and we were going to be getting more fishing boats. I didn't really care where they were from, to be honest. But no, it turned out, no, it wasn't fishing boats he was concerned about. The people who were coming over, these wezzies, who were coming over and stealing our fish, were fishing with a rod and line. And there's only 12 of them. And they're all, look, look at them, they're all there now. And he points at the harbour and there's all these people with a fishing rod fishing. According to the people of Scarborough, those 12 blokes there are empty in the North Sea of fish. <laughs> They've got the lot. They're never going to catch any fish because of them. It might be slightly carried away, but it's that sort of thing that kind of shapes our personality, really. I'm sorry about that. And my mother, she lives on Key Street, Street spelt with a Q. And, and it's, it's less than the width of this, this room. But down the centre of it is a cobbled winding road, and that's the old road. So it would only have been about sort of well, the width of two tables. There's the whole road with houses straight up, with no garden straight up, so it would have been a very narrow sort of a... And, but, but then now it, it's got banked gardens, and then up behind that is the, is the grass banks, and on the top of that is the Scarborough Castle. So my mother's garden looks up at this wonderful old castle, and then out the front, we're through a narrow alley onto the seafront, the promenade and the harbours and the, and the beach, all out the front there. And the, when my mum and dad moved into this... Um, house, the uh, old guy from next door popped out. He was a bit of a kind of recluse type, but he popped out and said hello. And he said, I've lived here, man and boy. And my father lived here, man and boy, before me. And his father lived here, man and boy, before... You get the idea. He went on for a long time, but, uh, you know, three generations will cover it, I think. And um, we were quite impressed. He's like a you know, as a, a, a fisherman and, and worked on the lifeboats, rescuing people and stuff like that. And, and, and then my dad got thinking about it and thought, just a minute, these houses that we're living in here, are they from the, like, 1950s? There's not three, four, five generations of people living in them. It turns out that this narrow cobbled down the middle, yes, that was the old street, and all the way along it were tiny little fishermen's houses. 
and they decided it all needed modernising, so they knocked them all down and built, in the 1950s, built these big sort of semi-detached houses. The fishermen had been chucked out of their little houses, they all moved back in. So this guy next door has lived in that house, man and boy, and his father before him, man and boy, they've lived in that spot, but not the same house. The house was demolished and another house put in its place, and they lived in that one, but they've lived in that street. So you're not going to get rid of the fishermen. They were the, what were called the bottom enders. And up at the top of the hill near the castle, there's another row of houses, and they are the top enders. And the top enders don't have much to do with the bottom enders. And then over on the left are the old townies, and they don't have anything to do with either of us. But they're all full of characters. I went to a funeral with my mum. It's, it's, it's become a hobby. When you've got a mother of 92, you end up going to a lot of funerals of people you don't know, just to support her, you know, and help her. And we went, and there's this lady who'd been, um, who was well-known in, in the town, and they did a talk about her, and apparently she could dress a crab. You get a whole crab. She could break it open and get everything out, get rid of all the horrible bits, and get it ready to put up for sale on the, on the stall. She could dress a crab in 15 seconds flat. She could. She also physically took out um, three prostitutes and four pimps. <laughs> and she, she was in her crab stall, and there was a policeman. He was famous for being quite delicate and small. And, um, and he questioned three prostitutes about the, what they were doing and being on the seafront, and they attacked him. And she came out of her crab stall as four big guys came to defend the prostitutes, and this poor police officer was beaten up was getting beaten up, and this lady from the crab stall went out and saw the lot of them off. They were on the floor, they were in seconds. They're pretty tough round Scarborough, I can tell you that. And they don't worry about the idea of getting up and going on a lifeboat in terrible conditions. Those amazing lifeboats that go off and rescue people, that they're not professional crews at all, they're just um, volunteers. And I, and I wrote about um, our neighbour, Frank. Strangely, I'd moved from York to Scarborough and the guy next door was the grandfather of a really good friend of mine from York. It's quite a small little world, despite the fact that we hate Wessies. The new Scarborough lifeboats first rescue. The Dutch coast of West Coast was sinking carrying Scottish coal down to Rotterdam. She had been keeled by a strong northwesterly. The winds, storms and incorrect sightings left her eight hours in heavy swell, her captain requesting escorting. The stern under the heavy water, Frank Dalton, then 58, and Jenkinson main prize, Denk, went aboard as advisers. The captain relented, decided to abandon. Denk and Frank guided them over. This was difficult, but they did it. All but the two lifeboatmen. Just as they, at the last, tried to leave her, a huge swell rose up between them and parted the craft. She made a run-in. Main prize made it. He jumped over. The lifeboat was there. Then a wave hit. A big one. Midway between ships was Frank Dalton, left hanging from the vest coast in heavy gear, gripping the side he could just wait there for another run and the sight of the lifeboat below him. They made it. He let go. A wave hit. The lifeboat, it rose up. It hit him. The two boats, for a moment, held Frank between them. 
As they parted, Vescust rose up. The lifeboat was below him. Frank Dalton was dropped down and fell dying to the deck. At his funeral, well, just after his funeral, the chief engineer of the Vescust fell to his knees by the graveside. Thank you, Frank Dalton, for saving my life and for all of the crew. When I saw your head appear climbing over the side and knew we were saved, I shall never forget your face. Frank Dalton, thank you. And another person I talked to was a, a guy, I suppose in his 40s now, who, uh, in Scarborough, who was talking about the haunted house and the ghost train. And he worked on the ghost train as a killer clown. <laughs> and his job was, as it came around the corner, was to leap out <laughs> like that. He just about always, throughout his teenage years, had a black eye. Because, <laughs> yeah, like that. And then somebody would frighten would would smack him in the face. Um, but I think, I'm kind of kind of trying to say that in Scarborough, the tough, he just carried on doing his job. And um, up on the top of that hill, just below the castle, is the grave of Anne Bronte. But he that dares not grasp the thorn should never crave the rose. When I stand at her grave, as I walk away, I feel as if I'm hearing her voice saying, grasp the thorn. I um, once had to get a bus all the way up Yorkshire, um, which is quite a journey, and ending up at uh, Whitby on the coast. And... There was people on and off the bus just getting two or three stops a few miles and getting off again and that sort of thing. But then there was patches where there was just me and the driver. And um, he started telling me about the different accents. And it, and it turned out that we picked this lady up. Get, she gets on the bus. He's asking her about the lambing season or the harvest or something like that. And then we go over the hills to the next valley and she gets off in uh, her farm there. And he said... He could tell the difference between her accent and the people from the valley beyond. And he, and he could tell where people were from, which um, sh shows that for all there's that broad accent, there's, there's lots of different variations on it. Um, my daughter comes to mind, Lucy, when she was about 14. We, we lived in York in a, in a terraced area, old um, railway houses. And, um, and, and it's like 10 minutes walk from the centre but it's called the island because it was quite sort of isolated. When she was 18, she was going out for a drink in town with her friends. And as she walked out, there's a schoolmate sitting on a bench and she said hello to them. And that she'd known them since she was little, you know. And as she's walking by, she heard one of them say, that Lucy, she goes out of here, you know. And the rest of them just lived within this one community. And when she was about, well, and she'd be about 12, she came home from school quite upset. I said, what's the matter? She said, my teacher's told me off for being so broad and, and in the way I talk. And I, I, I made a foolish mistake. I said, you should be proud of your heritage. You, sh you should be able to talk in the way that limos talk. And you should be proud of it. Well, that was it. She just got broader and broader and broader. And I, I did at one point mention that you need another voice for talking in, 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 in work situations where you're not quite as broad as you are in the corner shop and that sort of thing. But that bit didn't sink, sink in. Um, what, what's a, an example of what she might have said? This gadgie said, Gizamoy, 
and I gnashed off Malin. An old guy said, give me a kiss and I ran away crying. <laughs> and we're walking through the middle of York in the centre of this historic town in the shopping area and I, some t young people went by and I, I heard them talking and I said, oh, they're friends. Oh, she, no, they're not. And I said, well, they talk just like you. One of them said, go out, foys, which means it smells, you know. And she said, no, they're Cliftoners. And in a short section of them walking by talking, she could tell that they were from the other side of the river. You could see from this street to that street, but no, no. When they had nothing to do with each other. And on that bus, I was actually travelling to Whitby, another beautiful town. It's, uh, it's a coastal town, it's on the, on the sea, sea uh, but it's also got a very large river that divides the, the town in two and there's two steep banks and on this side is the old abbey the beautiful old abbey and um, to the north was the baron and the baron owned all the land to the north of the town he also claimed to own all the land to the south of the town on the coast in the south of the town was the jarl and he owned all the land to the south of the town and he claimed to own all the land to the north of the town. And they battled and fought throughout their lives about this. And then when the baron was on his deathbed, the priest went to him. And here he was. He didn't want the land going to no heathen from the south, the Viking. So he, he talked it through with the baron. And they decided that the, all the land should be left to the church. But it would be rented back to the baron's descendants for a penny a year, if the hedge stood. And they still build the penny hedge on the small beach on the coast in Whitby. And they build a hedge in the middle of the beach, and that hedge has to survive three tides. And if it does, the people can keep the land. If it gets washed over, and so far, it's managed to hold up. And the two sides of the town, it's very steep. So here, we've got the, like, the fishermen's cottages, which back then were poor people, now they're quaint and worth, worth a fortune. Over this side, very tall buildings, and they were the rich people's homes that came to, to Whitby for the good of their health, being one of the spa towns. And now they're all broken up into little apartments and people are unemployed tend to get one of them given to them. So there, the rich has become the poor district and the fishermen's houses are worth an absolute fortune. I talked to a guy, he'd be 80 now, because you've got a bridge across the middle between the two, and, um, and it's a tourist town, you know, now, and um, gets absolutely packed. And I talked to this bloke, he'd be in his 80s now, and he told me that he believed he was the first person to be born from both sides of the bridge. And his, his mother had sneaked across the bridge to the other side and met a man and they'd formed a relationship and then she'd got pregnant. A mother had discovered she got pregnant and threw her out because they found out that the father was from the other side of the river. And she went to the other side of the river and she went to her boyfriend and they fell into each other's arms and his family discovered that he'd got a woman pregnant from the other side and they threw him out. They were on the bridge in the middle of the river and couldn't go to either side of the town. And eventually her family relented and said, OK, you can come back to us. 
So not only was that baby, which became the man in his 80s that I talked to, not only was he the first baby born of both sides, but up to that point, this side of the town and that side of the town were different races. They, were, they weren't even, you know, in connection with any other part of the Yorkshire or anything. They were completely distinct, different um, races. Behind there, of course, is the moors. And, 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 and I've been over there. I've been over on the Lake Wake Walk, the Walk of the Dead. You walk from Osmotherley to Ravenscar, which is just up the coast from Robin Hood's Bay. I'm not making that up. And the monks would carry the coffins in a, a ch and chant as they walked over the moors to the holy land on the coast at Ravenscar to have the bodies buried. And you have to walk over there within 48 hours. Uh, sorry, within 24 hours. It's only 48 miles, but you're talking about heather, you're talking about swamps and bogs. It's a really difficult walk. And at the end of it, you get a certificate to prove you've done the walk, and it's a death card with black, white with black borders around, and it says on it, condolences on your crossing. It, it's a Yorkshire idea of humour. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I remember going over there as a boy scout, and it was three or four in the morning, we're in the pitch dark, and I'm with one of the scout leaders, and we're chatting away, and, we're, and then he's gone. And we're on the top of a moor, and you can see for miles in the moonlight, and he's disappeared. It's like, have the aliens abducted him or something? And then we had this, for God's sakes, get me out of here. And there was a hole in the ground, and he just dropped into it. And the whole hole was full of icy water, with just his head sticking out. And we couldn't get him out, because he couldn't, it was so narrow, he couldn't move his arms. So we had to lift him out by his head. <laughs> and he made quite a lot of noise about it as well, you know. The stranger them moors, though, are very kind of spooky. I, um, I talked to a fireman. And they'd had a call out that there was a fire on the moors and they got in the fire engine and they went out. And he swears it's true that they're going along this road across the middle of the moors in the night. And there, ahead of them, is a burning fire, a massive, tall, burning fire in the shape of a man. And they drove towards it with the sirens going. And as they got nearer, they realised that it wasn't on this road, it was on the other road at the other side of the moor. So they had to go in a long sort of journey across, I think it was Kitty Corner, but I'm not sure. And, and they had to go on, on up that road. And as they drove along that road looking for the burning man, he was above the road at the other side. And they had to go back. <laughs> and they spent the, the whole of the night and they never, they never found him. But, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there must be a point to that story, but I'm not sure where it is. And I, I got lost on that, those moors and I'm not making it up. I'm not making it up. There was a, a car boat sale, a, a second-hand sale out of the backs of cars, you know. And we went to it and said, we're lost. And they said, Bob will show you the way. And as he came walking over, what is it, what's the problem? The lady from the ticket desk at the front of the field, she shouted over, these people are lost and they're trying to get to Scarborough. And I'm not making it up. He looked at me and he said, well, if I was going there, I wouldn't set off from here. <laughs> and, and we went um, to um, the Wolds. Over to the east of, of the Moors, the North York Moors, is the Wolds, big arable farming kind of an area. And I've spent time in the villages there and on my grandfather and my, my grandmother's farm. And um, it was quite a village. It was the Vestis. 
They owned butcher shops selling meat all over Britain and exported all over the world as well. It was a sort of big, from all farms that they owned. And they had what they called tenant farmers. So my grandfather was a farmer, but he didn't own the farm. And, and worked for the Lord Vesty, who had a great big hall. And, um, and most of the workers, were, unlike my grandfather, who had, had this you know, big farmhouse, the rest of them kind of lived in the village. Lord Vesty owned the village as well. So if you did anything wrong, you didn't just lose your job, you lost your home as well. And on, on, a, on, a, mall, on a Sunday morning, you'd get up, you'd get all your best clothes on, and you'd go out to church. Outside the church was a big muscly man in a suit with a list of everybody who worked for Lord Vesty ticking them off. And if you didn't get ticked off on that list and you didn't have a sick note, you were homeless and out of a job. You had to go to church. If, if more than three men were stood talking on the street when he drove by in his limousine, he would stop and have one of his henchmen get out and tell you to move on. They weren't having no meetings planning against him. And they, they, they were quite characters, all of them. My, my grandmother, my nana, she said, working on the farm, her idea of a quiet night in was sitting on a butter press, churning a butter churn with a foot and knitting. That was about the easiest time she ever had. They were, they were quite tough. And it, and it was a bit tough on the people that worked for them. Harvest time, they had about 15 people working for them. And you got your dinner, she dished it all up and you ate your dinner. Ah, dinner. Course. When I say dinner, I'm talking about lunchtime. And when I say tea, I'm talking about what you might think of as dinner time. It was all back to front back then. But they'd have the dinner and, and well, you knew to eat everything and clean up your plate. Unless you were new. And then you maybe would leave a bit that you didn't quite like or something. All the rest knew to make sure your plate was properly cleared. Because when you'd finished your main course, my grandmother, my nana, came along with the dessert and slapped it on the same plate. So if you'd left a bit of gravy and pie and carrot on your plate, your pudding went on top of it. So you made sure you ate everything from then on, really. Uh, they were a funny old mixture as well. I remember going to visit them after they'd retired and going to the little house that they had then in, uh, in um, Wing. Uh, it, it was spelt T-H-W-ing, uh, but it was pronounced Wing. And it was just down the road from Hunnumby, which was pronounced Unnumby. Uh, and there they were in swing, and I went in, and she looked at me and she said, get out. I said, I've come all the way from York, come to visit, what are you doing telling me to get out, you know? And I had a cardigan on, and it was green. Get out, you're not coming in here wearing that. I said, why, what's the matter? She said, oh, it's green. And she was ever so serious and ever so angry. And, I, and I, I'm going out the door, I'm thinking, do I go out or do I take it off or what, you know? And I said, what's the matter with green? She said, fairies wear green. And she really thought I was going to be abducted by the fairies. <laughs> she was very, very serious and very, very angry about it. So that I think the fairies must exist. She seemed to believe they did anyway, I don't know. But <laughs> Which brings me to my Uncle Tom. When, when um, I was probably about 11 or 12 or something like that, my mum discovered the whereabouts of Uncle Tom. And um, he was her half-brother. And, um, and um, the kind of when she married, sorry, when her mother married my adopted grandfather, he had already had a family. And when they grew up, they kind of all seemed to disappear. 
and go away. And then when Tom was about 40-odd, my mum found him, and he, wor he lived in a little cottage on a farm and was a farm worker. Why don't you come and visit us? We went to see him. And uh, he, 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 um, he got something, some photos he wanted to show her, and he, and he opened a drawer in his little house, a, a big drawer, and it was full of money. So what's that? And he said, well, I don't really have anything to spend it on. He got him a bank account, which was the first one he'd ever had in his life. And uh, why don't you come and visit us and come for, for Christmas? And, and, oh, it was amazing experience, me, my Uncle Tom. I really got on really well with him. But he, he came over to spend Christmas with us, and on Boxing Day, it was a day much like this. And it was, you know, here we are in the middle of winter, but it was bright and it was, it was really nice. Mum says, let's go for a walk. And we, 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 we um, go in out the front door and she looked at my Uncle Tom and she said, um, I know it's bright now, but we're going out for an hour or two. It, the weather might change. Don't you think you should w bring your coat? And he said, well, no, with it being so nice, he said. When I got off the train at York, I folded my coat up and put it on the luggage rack and I've left it there for when I go back. <laughs> and he'd only ever been out of the village in his whole adult life on the summer bus trip and uh, you know like a church get together type thing you know and of course you go on a, on a coach and you go to where you can have your picnic and you leave your things on the rack and the bus is waiting for you and you come back he thought trains did the same we, we never got his coat back <laughs> <laughs> my uncle Tom Stiff starched, heavy cotton, most often collarless, thick serge suit, waistcoat, overcoat, trilby and braces. I swear he wore sock suspenders. My Uncle Tom, a bachelor, quiet, country type, unassuming farm man. I remember him being happy, always happy, when he came here for Christmas and the case, battered brown, unpacking its immaculate contents in our living room. A turkey among the well-folded shirts. Brace of pheasants tucked under the suit. Duck eggs in the socks. And in best Sunday shoes. Came to be happy, doing the vegetables, folding unwrappings, washing up always, whistling. When he died suddenly, they sent me his horse brasses. Seems a quiet bachelor farmhand was a bit of a hero. He showed shire horses. Due to mechanisation, these huge, adorable monsters were retired, but kept on as prizes. Tom was the one who would care for them. Removed from the field and the shed, caring for the shire horses was all that he did. Exercise, trap trips, brassing and pleating, Combing and loving, finally showing, always winning. Seems my Uncle Tom was a bit of a champion. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, no, I wrote it a while ago. Uh, uh, I, I'm right, right, listening to myself reading that out. I'm reminded of a bit I missed out from earlier when I was talking about the Wezzies. So I'm going to jump back to, to Scarborough and the Wezzies because well, I was talking about this idea that this guy was, you know, didn't like me because he thought I might have been from West Yorkshire. And turns out I'm related to a Wezzie. My me, uh, me sister's fella is, is, is from West Yorkshire. And he said, oh, yeah, it's right. And I said, well, I gather there's a bit of um, tension 
between, you know, Scarborough and West Yorkshire people. A bit of tension, he said. When I first moved to Scarborough, he said, I went out for a drink. I was on my own and now what else to do. So I went out every night, he said, for the first five months I was here in Scarborough, I had a fight every single night just because I was a wessie. And I'd go out for a cigarette. Well, this is what nearly happened to me, isn't it? I'd been outside this bug, pub and these blokes going, where are you from? If I had said I was from West Yorkshire, I'd have been like beaten up or something, wouldn't I? But, the, but me, me, me um, brother-in-law, he said, yeah, every night for five months I had a fight. And I said, so, that's a lot of winning and a lot of losing and a lot of making peace. And he looked at me and he said, I never lose. <laughs> it's a matter of pride. And I says, is it? And he said, yes, you just have to keep getting back up. <laughs> so I'm a wessie, OK? <laughs> I'm gonna, from now on, I'm going to be a wessie. <laughs> Don't want to mess with that sort of thinking, do you? <laughs> and, oh, and then there's all the different days that they... Um, that we had with Carlin Sunday and Ligging Down Day and, and all sorts of different sorts of occasions we had. But um, another thing that we did in, in, in the worlds in East Yorkshire and probably in other parts of Yorkshire was give away our children. <laughs> it tended to happen quite a bit. <laughs> me, me, a, a cousin of mine, his, um, his mum had, had, a, had a baby when he was about four or five and she couldn't cope. So she, she's like, goes to me um, auntie across the road and says to, to Kitty, will you look after my son for me? Well, that was it. He was brought up there. It just it, that, it never, it never changed. He would get up on a morning and in his jammers, slippers and dressing gown, he would cross the village street to his auntie Kitty's, go in and have his breakfast and a bath and get ready for school and go to school. Then he would come back, have his evening meal, his tea, uh, and do his homework, and, and when it was bedtime, he would then go back home, so that all he ever did was sleep at home, because um, she had a brother. And, well, you can't have children, can you? So you, you have one of mine. It happened quite a lot. They just would, um, it's kind of, I suppose it's kind of sharing, isn't it? And then there was the, the hard acres. My mum introduced me to this bloke. I'd be a teenager at the time, and he was probably a... Um, in his 60s or something like that. And, he, and, and she introduced him as Boy Hardacre. And afterwards I said, why do you call him that when he's, you know, he's 60-odd? It turns out it was his name. He was christened Boy. And do you know why he was christened Boy? Because he was the second-born. If you were the first-born man, you were christened Son. And their actual name was Son. So he was Son Hardacre which meant you were the best one of the family because you were the eldest man. But if there was the terrible shame of the family having a girl before they had a boy, and then the second child they had was a boy, he, they couldn't call him son because you couldn't be proud of him the same. So they called him boy instead. That's <laughs> only a couple of generations ago. It's weird how um, thinking has changed, like, you know, but hopefully. <laughs> Maybe it's still the same, I don't know. But... Um, I talked to a, to a guy in York, and he, he, was a, he was a research chemist, so quite how he'd gone delivering um, tractor parts, I don't know, but, but he'd been asked when he was in an office boy if he would deliver to a, a country, um, to a little farm, and he, he got lost, and, 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 he, and he's travelling about all over through the world, and eventually he found this, found this farm, it's about nine at night, 
And the, it, this sounds like one of them old jokes, you know, but uh, they said, you'll never get home now. You'd better come in and stay the night. And uh, we, we're just about to eat. We've just finished work. And um, they, they had a lovely meal. There's a wooden table. Now, he did say that this table was kind of like plough furrows, that it was all up and down because it had been scrubbed that much that half the wood was worn away. And the reason they had to scrub it and keep it clean was that's where you mashed your potatoes. So they got the spuds and they piled up the potatoes and they got a masher and they mashed them on the table. And then once they're all mashed, they made a hole in the middle and put the butter and the milk and the salt and pepper in it and mashed it all up again. And then you got your plate and you got your food off the middle of the table. Except for the high protein. No, I can't describe it as high protein. The meat. No, it wasn't meat either. No, basically what they brought you on your plate about this big, about the size of a brick, was a great big lump of fat. And they all had one each. We've brought you this out because it's our best thing. It's our delicacy. It's our favourite food. And he had to sit and eat a great big mountain of fat. And they put him up. He had a lovely feather mattress and, you know, a room to himself. And unlike the jokes. And um, the next morning, he woke up about half past four in the morning and he got up. He got dressed. He left the thank you note and he got out of there because he didn't want to imagine what you'd get for breakfast. <laughs> and then just um, inland from there on, on, on the edge of the moors is, um, is Gothland and um, I worked in Gothland for a while and, the, and they have some quite old traditions there there's the, the, the ploughboys and, and once a year at the ploughing time in the spring they go around and they do a, a Morris dance basically they have flowery hats and they bang, dance about to... Um, to uh, um, accordions and things like that, banging sticks and, things, and waving handkerchiefs and bells and things to these guys. And they all wear white with straps covered in flowers over the top of them. And the, the reason they wear white is that a guy from London wanted to go and record, uh, write about the Morris dancers tradition in the north of England. And they heard that he was coming and they thought we'd better dress up smart. And they were all poor and they didn't have any smart clothes. But they did have their cricket whites, the stuff they wore for cricket. So they put them on under the Morris dancing thing and then went and did the dancing. And he wrote, Morris dancers wear white. Now there are dance teams in every town all over Britain and they all wear white. Just because of those cricket whites. And uh, they, they go and they do the dancing when it comes to ploughing time. And then they go and they stand outside your, your, the big gardens or the big houses and if you don't come out and give them food and beer and some money for a local charity, you plough up the garden. And there was one guy who was really nasty and awkward and stingy, and he refused to give them food and beer and money for the charity. And they said, look, if you don't pay up, we're going to have to plough your garden. He said, well, I want nothing to do with you. And went back in, so they had to plough up his garden. They, they, a lot of these Morris men, they, they, they complain, people not, don't know what they're all about. They see them dancing, and there's one particular group from the mining areas. Because I'm, I'm talking about fishermen and farmers. Mining is where you're, you know, you're at risk, aren't you? The, the Wesley, my brother-in-law, he was a miner when he was a lad, and there was, there was a, a, a rockfall, and they were trapped miles below the earth in a mine in the dark with the air running out. Uh, and they were all, luckily, we were all rescued. But um, they, they, you had your, what we call bank holidays, you know, certain holidays where you, and they had the Monday off and you went out dancing. 
and they were told they couldn't have the day off. And if any miner was seen dancing, that they would be sacked. So they got the coal dust, and people complain about this because they see them dancing, and they think they're blacking up and pretending to be black, where they're just, it's an old tradition, that they get the coal dust and rubbed it all over their faces so you couldn't tell who they were. So that then they could dance, and it was kind of like a, a, a Labour Day protest. It was, it was the, Morris, the Morris men. And um, as I was saying, there's lots of special days. Carlin Sunday. Me and my mum have just discovered what Carlin Sunday is. You've got these peas, Carlin Pea Sunday. You've got them in a, in a brown bag, all greasy, and they were baked in the oven. And then every kid got a bag and he went walking about with them. And, um, and my mum, people always said, to her, well, they were chickpeas. And she said, no, they weren't chickpeas. And, and we went in a shop recently and they had really tiny chickpeas. And she said, that's it, that's Carlin Peas. And I boiled, soaked and boiled them and roasted them and did them for her in, in, um, you know, in fat and salt and pepper. And, and she, had, she recreated Carlin Peas Sunday like 70, 80 years later or something like that. And uh, what did they call it? Um, uh, Carlin Sunday, Windy Monday, Poop, Poop Tuesday. They had quite an effect on the body. And, and, and we had um, April Fool's Day, of course, where you played jokes on people. But what's been forgotten is you could only do April Fool's Day jokes until 12 o'clock on, on April the 1st. But after 12 o'clock was Ligging Down Day. What a laugh that is, tripping people up so they fall on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't mention it because it might start off again, mightn't it? And with people with broken noses everywhere, you know. But we were tougher then, back then, so, you know. And um, whip and top day where you whipped and kept a top spinning. Pancake day where you ra raced along with the pancakes in the frying pan. And um, skipping day where all the roads were closed. They still do that in Scarborough. And um, the fishermen donate the ropes and they close the seafronts. And the schools decided they weren't going to allow this anymore, that they couldn't have a holiday. How can our town have a holiday different to all the rest of the country? The parents just refused to take the kids to school. It's skipping day and we're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Miggy night. Because um, we have bonfire night. You don't have bonfire night, do you? The 5th, 5th of November is, is when you, you, we burn the guy from, for Guy Fawkes. And... Um, we have big bonfires and fireworks, and, uh, but the night before that is Miggy night, mischief night, where you go and you knock on the door and run away or do all sorts of pranks. Um, one was to get dog poop, wrap it in newspaper, put it out somebody's door, set fire to it, knock on the door and run away, and they come out and stamp out the fire. That We were horrible. We were... <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> And, and, and then there was Martinmas Sunday. That's when all the farmhands would go and stand in the village green with their chest with their worldly belongings. And the farmer would come round with a cart and say, I'll have you, you and you. And you would go off and be his chambermaid, his, his kitchen assistant, his, his farm worker. And your payment on the day, on Martinmas Sunday, was half a crown. That's, I don't know what, it's less than a, than, than a quarter. And, uh, but it was enough to go and get you drunk. You didn't get paid again till the end of the year, but at least you got, you got drunk that day, you know. Um, so there was all these sort of set days of the year. My, my granddad, he got set on with his farmer, and it's like um, he worked from early morning till nine at night. And, and, and he would look and he'd see the village across the way and the church tower 
and, and, um, and there was a school tower with a clock in it, and you could see that as well. And, and, and he thought, I wonder what we like in that village. And it, they worked till nine every night. And then one night, the farmer said, well, we're all finished. We'll pack in early. And it was about, about um, seven o'clock. He thought, I haven't got time to get round the roads, but if I go over the fields, I can get to that village. And he ran through the muddy fields, leaping fence after fence. And he got to the village, and he went, and there's a pub. And he went in, and he got himself a pint. And he's drinking his pint. Then he made his big mistake. He decided that he had time for a second pint. And he didn't. And he's halfway through the pint, and, and, and he looked up at the church, the school clock. Oh, no, I've only got ten minutes to get home. And he ran over all these fields, and he got to the farmhouse, and the, there's the, fa the garden gate, and the farmer at the door, door of the farmhouse. And as he got to the garden gate, the church in the village chimed nine o'clock. And the farmer said, you're too late. Nine o'clock's the deadline. You'll have to sleep in the barn and shut the door on him. So he was like seconds away from being in the door, you know. But I mentioned um, Guy Fawkes. Yeah, um, of course, he, he was arrested in a cellar underneath the Houses of Parliament, about to blow up the Houses of Parliament. Uh, they say he's the only person who's ever entered the Houses of Parliament um, with honest intentions. <laughs> and, and, and of course he, he was like tortured and burnt and all that sort of thing and so every year on the 5th of November what a lark it is we burn a, burn a body you know uh, we'd make a, make a false guy and put him on the bonfire and have a big bonfire and we eat chewy toffee and watch fireworks and that sort of thing the, the, I always remember the homemade toffee because you'd get your mouth and all your teeth cooked together and you couldn't talk you know and you'd be like oh these fireworks are good aren't they yeah look at that rocket up there you know but it's, it's quite an experience and uh, some of the fireworks Catherine wheels you maybe have come across they're sort of round things and you light them and well that white stuff that they made of we also made jumping jacks well bought jumping jacks that were kind of like that so when that bit was burning, it was going up that way. When that bit was burning, it was going down that way. And we used to go into the crowds and light them in between people's feet. What a laugh, seeing them all running away. Oh, that one's got burns. Yes, it will. But Guy was from York. Guido, he rechristened himself when he fought in Spain as Guido. So I give him his proper name and some due respect. Because um, he, he, basically he was a Catholic fighting against the rights, uh, the laws of the Protestants. So he, he had a kind of reason for what he was doing, you know. But, uh, but anyway, um, he was a pupil at St. Peter's School. And St. Peter's don't burn a guy. Apparently, every year, they're not going to burn an old boy. So they burn a gal instead. Um, Margaret Thatcher, one year... <laughs> <laughs> and they come up with some sort of figure like her and make them and burn them every year. Um, and and, and uh, yeah, cause he was hung, drawn and quartered in, in um, York, in, in London, sorry. But there's plenty of hangings at the York Tyburn. Uh, one woman was ha hanged to death for the terrible crime of stealing clothing apparel of no apparent value. She, but she stole a rag, basically. And a, a, a woman was declared a witch for trying to sell pins uh, and was hung. And, and Dick Turpin was hung there. He was an evil, violent man. 
he would tie people to the bed and threaten to throw boiling water over them unless they said where their treasures were. And they would tell him where their bag of money was hidden and then he would throw the boiling water over them anyway. He was a terrible, terrible man. Everybody in Britain hated that highwayman. Except York, we really liked him. <laughs> he, uh, uh, the night before he, he was hung in, in, in York, he had a suit made of fustian cloth, like corduroy, well, but without the lines, a bit like a carpet sort of thing, and, and uh, really fine. And he had this suit made, and he also ordered black armbands and black gloves. And he had them sent out into the town. Because back then, when this woman was hung for stealing a rag, there would be several thousand people watching. Oh, this is entertaining, you know, sort of thing. You know, there was hangings gathered crowds. So there was many, many thousands for him because he was, like, really famous. So the York was full of people. He had whole bags full of black armbands made and had them distributed around York. So every man in the whole of York had a black armband. Every woman had a pair of black gloves. So when he came out in the trolley that went all the way through the traitor's gate, all the way to the hanging, everybody thought he was fantastic. And he's waving at them all. And they're all cheering and waving. And when, they, when he got to the, to the, to the, to the, to the hangman's point, he got off the, 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 the trailer on his own, and he went and he climbed the steps. And he walked up. And he talked to the guards and the hangman and chatted about the weather and stuff. And, and as he's doing this, he, he, he's chatting away to them. He went and he got the new, noose and he put it round his own neck. And he's chatting about the weather and all the women he used to know and the money he stole and where he did. You'll never guess where I hid my treasure and that sort of As he did, he stepped off and hung himself. And word got out that night that somebody had gone to his grave and dug him up. York's hero, Dick Turpin, were not having that. And somebody must have sold him to a doctor who wants to chop up the brain of, a, of an evil man to see what it looks like. And the people of York rose up and they went round every medical establishment in the whole of York until they found him and reburied him about 20 foot deep. So, Dick Turpin, in York, is a hero. <laughs> We've got twisted mentality, I'm sure we have. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what they say, you can always tell a Yorkshireman, but you can't tell him much. <laughs> and, I, and I'm a bit worried about the fact that I've written down here that I'm going to sing. <laughs> I, <don't, are> <laughs> I can't sing, I can't sing. But if I sing and there's call and response, would you possibly join in shouting back at me? Yeah, you are. Hey! <laughs> I apologise for the awful singing. Ilklimur, Bartat. That means without a hat. It's a deadly, deadly thing. And whenever I say Ilklimur, you need to shout out, Where's that? Okay? On Ilklimur, Bartat. On Ilklimur, Bartat. On Ilklimur, Bartat. Oh, and at that point you go, and they've all got spots on. What? And they've all got spots on. Il Climo Bartat. Il Climo Bartat. Il Climo Bartat. There's been a court in Mary Jane. Mary Jane. There's been a court in Mary Jane. On Il Climo Bartat. 
on il climo bata. On il climo bata. Tar's gone and caught the death of cold. On il climo bata. On il climo bata. On il climo bata. Then we we had to bury thee. On il climo. Oh, sorry, you're supposed to go bury thee. I forgot that bit. On il climo bata. On il climo bata. On il climo bata. Oh, I've forgotten the next. Then worms will come and eat thee up. Eat thee up. On il climo bata. On il climo bata. On il climo bata. Then ducks will come and eat up worms. Eat up worms. Then ducks will come and eat up worms. On il climo bata. On il climo bata. On il climo bata. Then we shall come and eat up ducks. Then we shall come and eat up ducks. On il climo bata. On il climo bata. On il climo bata. Then we shall all have eaten thee. Then we shall all have eaten thee. On il climo bata. On il climo bata. On il climo bata. What they got? <laughs> oh, I apologise. <laughs> and um, I think I might finish with a haiku. It's um, on the topic of the weather. All of nature preserved, protected in pristine solitude by constant rain. <laughs> Thank you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Lo lots of things. Yeah. yeah, there's lots of folk folklore. Oh, I am actually a beer designer. For anybody who's into real ales or craft beers, it's a bit of a disappointment because how it works is a, a design company came to me and said, "Will you help us design labels for beer bottles?" And then they got the brewery, and the brewery go, "Oh yeah, I've got a beer I can put in that." And I had to do ones on Yorkshire folklore, and I had a great list of all the different things that people believe in. There is a beer, it's hard to believe, but there is a beer out there in the world called The Devil Dropped His Hammer and Picked Up a Haddock. <laughs> There's another one called I Love You, Be With Me Forever, which might be a bit awkward holding over a bar, wouldn't it? <laughs> but... Um, there's loads of like folklore and superstitions. Basically, Filey Brig is a, a long stone that sticks out into the sea, and it's not as long as it should have because the devil was building it and he wanted it to go right out to the sea where it would spike ships and sink them. And he had only got a quarter of it built, and he was hammering the stones into place when he dropped his hammer and he went in the sea and he came out with a haddock instead. 
And the proof of that is if you look at a haddock, it's got a thumbprint on the gills, so it must be true. <laughs> <laughs> and the fairies and trolls, all, all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, yeah. I lived in Germany for three years. Oh, right. They were superstitious. Right, yeah. The, I mean, the, 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 there's some things you think, isn't it, ridiculous, and then there's others. Like, somebody putting the shoes on the table. I'd be out the door. New shoes especially. Walking on a ladder, smashing a mirror. All those sorts of things. I was on a train just recently, and there was two guys, and he turns to his friend across the table, and he said, I'm really pleased you've managed to make it. It wouldn't have been a wedding without you. You're, you're going to be my best man, and you're my best friend. And I'm so glad you got back from, funnily enough, I think it was from Germany. And you got back in time, and we, they were heading off to the wedding. He said, have you got your suit and everything? They've got it all packed in. It's all ready. Did you manage to get some shoes in the end? He said, yeah, I've got some new shoes that are in my bag. And he got them out and put them on the table, and he was just going to get married. That marriage isn't going to last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're superstitious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm? It was just bad luck, terrible bad luck. Yeah, I, 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 think, I don't think there's any more than that to it. I mean, there are lots of things, you know, like walking under a ladder and... Um, not, if you see a black cat, you, you um, can't look backwards until, you, until you've um, seen another one or something like that, you know. There's a, uh, but, uh, but there's no real definite um, event, it's just terrible bad luck. <laughs> and some of these things we believe in and others we don't, I suppose, you know, I don't know. Do other people have superstitions they believe in? Is it just me? <laughs> oh, there would possibly one or two. <laughs> It, it's not so bad, actually, no. The, those people at the other side of the Pennines get it all. Yeah. <laughs> it is true, actually, that the rain tends to come in from the west, and down the centre of the north of England is the Pennines. So they, they say that the, the west gets more than the east. Could mean it's more fertile as well, I suppose. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And of course, see, you know, the, you know what he got, what, why he was hung, what he got hung for. His terrible crime was, I'm exaggerating, okay. but he shot a chicken. Yeah. He, he was coming home from, he, 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 he gave up his career supposedly, but it was at the top of the Humber, so you've got the east coast, you've got the wide Humber River, and nobody would think that somebody would ride right round it to the other side, so he went round down into Lincolnshire, stole cattle, butchered them, because he was tra a trained butcher, and then went round the farm selling the meat from their own cattle. And then he got drunk and he came back home, and as he got to the, back round the Humber, he saw a cockerel, got his gun out in a drunken uh, bit of fun, thought it'd be fun to shoot, and shot it. And it was a prize cockerel, and he got arrested for it. And when they arrested him, they then started working out who he really was. So that, and and he, he gave him a false name, and he wrote to his sister's husband, and they split up. 
And he wrote and said, will you write and say that John Palmer is of good character and will he be pleased dep deported to Australia rather than hung? And they'd split up, so his, his sister's ex-husband thought, well, I'm not helping him, and recognised the handwriting and wouldn't pay the stamp on the letter. It went back to the post office and was laid on the counter in the post office and Dick Turpin's old head teacher went in the post office to pick up a parcel, saw the letter and recognised the handwriting. And that's how they found out he was Dick Turpin and why he got hung. Oh, dear. Yeah. 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 Oh, no, it's hers, yeah. That's her, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I hope I have that handwriting at 92. Yeah, yeah, she hasn't done bad, I see, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell her she'll be pleased to hear that, yeah. She was, his yeah. mom uh, is a professional storyteller in a way, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's very entertaining, and she'll tell you stories about memories of old friends and how they, they made homemade wine, and she would, uh, a lot of stories involved drinking homemade wine. And, and she, was tell, she was telling us, she, one story was about a friend rolling down the hill with her legs in the air and a, and a, and a skirt flying all over, show, showing her knickers, kind of thing. And, and, you, and you're all going, what <laughs> a good story! And then it ends with the way all the stories of a 92-year-old do. As you're laughing, she goes, of course, they're dead now. <laughs> all the stories end like that. <laughs> you feel really guilty for laughing. Oh, dear, they're dead right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>